What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Then and Now Sports Podcast. Nick, bubble basketball is producing some nonstop bangers. Seems like every night there has been a wild game. Uh, how have you been feeling after these just absolutely insane games? These games have just been wild. Even even like disregarding the results of some of these series, like every single game has been entertaining from beginning to end. And I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest. Two, three, hold on, four, five. We've had five games in the past four days that have had a game decided by two points. So everywhere you go, you see a great NBA playoff game. We got to start off with the one that we've seen Thursday night between the Celtics and the Raptors. Now, this was a very good game. Back and forth by both teams. It's crazy that a team had to lose this because the Celtics, I think, out were playing better basketball all around. And, of course, they take the lead late defensive breakdown and Daniel Tice gets an easy dunk. But then on the other end, 0.5 seconds, 0.5, and somehow the Raptors get off a shot, OG Ananobi hits a three with 0.5 left, and now we have a completely different series where we had a three, we were looking at possibly 3-0 Celtics lead, to now it's 2-1. So what are your takeaways from this wild game? Well, you talk about that easy dunk from um, Dice at the end, um... I'd also like to shout out Kemba Walker, who played out of his mind in this game, who had a great pass on that play as well. It just seemed like Kemba was always doing the right thing at the right time. And on the other hand, we, we're, we're focused on the, the game-winning shot, I mean. But, but Kyle Lowry also put the team on his back down the stretch, and really for the whole game, put up 31 points for them, 8 assists. His, his contributions can't be understated. And even when I saw like like that final possession, 0.5 seconds, Taco Fall is on the inbound defending. Like I, I like I feel like a lot of people were were like writing off the game as over already. But I, I just never forget like how much like that that little time can can matter. Because like they, I, I've seen so many plays, like one play rings in my mind like it, it was like this random Nets game with Vince Carter there were less, there was like 0.3 seconds left and you're not allowed to take a shot when there's like 0.3 or less seconds left like it, it it's just not allowed and they'll call it off anyway but Vince Carter got a shot off with 0.3 seconds left and ever since like that game I've kind of realized like how much time is really on the clock? How much can really happen with just like a fraction of a second left on the clock? And this is the perfect example of it. Like the game's never over until it's over. I like what you brought up before about the performance by both of these guards. Unreal performance by both guys, Lowry and Kemba tonight. Both of these guys led their teams. Lowry at 31, Kemba on the other side, 29. Both of these guys were outstanding down the stretch and they were the leaders of the team when they needed to be. And you got we should talk about Pascal Siakam a little bit as he's been kind of the de facto leader since I, I guess Kyle Lowry's the leader. But in terms of 
you know, the superstar player you want to try to rely on to get you buckets and get you defensive stops. I feel like the Raptors have tried to push Pascal Siakam in that role. And, of course, that breakdown at the end with Tice with that easy dunk, that was on Siakam. But on the other end, we do have to mention a really big series uh, sequence when he was on Jason Tatum, and he did not let Tatum get comfortable at all. And Tatum had to throw up a crazy shot, didn't come close. And when you're talking about under a minute left, little things like that go a long way in giving your team a a chance at a Hail Mary with 0.5 seconds left. So I just feel like we'd be remiss to not bring up Pascal Siakam's performance there. He was also pretty solid overall, 16 points. And both teams' starting units were as solid as as they get because the Raptors, five starters and double figures, Celtics had four. So both starting units were ready for the task. And there were times where, you know, not every shot was going in, but Jason Tatum, especially five for 18 today, wasn't his best performance after a couple week playoff period where it seems like Tatum gets 30 every night. Today was the night he kind of slowed down and the Celtics still almost won despite that. So I just thought great showing by both teams in terms of momentum shifting. I think the Raptors have the momentum now. You're giving like a, a second life to this team that knows what second life, second chances are all about, especially last year when you walk off against Philadelphia with that crazy buzzer beater that tips around the rim three times. I think the Raptors know what to do with second chances. And this series is going seven, in my opinion. I, I think the Celtics really had their chance to really wrap up the series, go up three nothing, get comfortable with this lead. Now you're 2-1 and very uncomfortable at this point in time. Um, I'm going to agree with you on some things and disagree with you on other things. On one point about the, the momentum, I absolutely agree. I mean, when you get a shot like that and, and a moment like that in a game, it, it really shifts the mood and, you know, you're, you're just feeling on the top of the world. I mean, Kyle Lowry said after the game, it's one game at a time. And you got to prepare for the next game. But you can't act like that shot doesn't already mentally affect you for the next game. You know, you're already going into that game with with a certain mindset. Definitely a lot more confidence than you would if you were down 3-0. Now, on the Pascal Siakam point, I agree he did a great job of defending Jason Tatum on that possession that you mentioned. But I, I really do think we still need to see more from him. Because even though, like, you know, 16 points, 7 rebounds, it's not a bad game. For for a player that is, I would say, clearly the best all-around player on this team, and a, a guy who averages 23 points a game, we you're going to need more from him, from him. And, like, on top of that, you, you mentioned a very important point. Jason Tatum didn't have a good performance either, and the Celtics almost won. And I think... They're going to really need Siakam to emerge as that star we know he can be in order for this series to be super competitive. But but like you said, this series can easily go to seven, but we just need to see the right factors in play. What I really enjoyed from the Raptors side, at least, pretty much going to six man rotations. And I know this is. Not the most talked about things, obviously, when you got an exciting playoffs, like who cares if you got six men playing at the same time or 
the same six guys rotating in and out. But I think it's clear, it's showing that the Raptors are going all in on their guys. They have their six guys who they feel can be the best six players, best five players on the court at one time. And you got Lowry, Fred VanVleet, Gasol and Ibaka switching on and off. OG and Siakam, that is a really tough starting five to crack through. Celtics, on the other hand, they had a lot of guys come in. They had Ennis Cantor, he played a couple minutes. Robert Williams, how about him and Grant Williams? I think Robert Williams was the one who made the crazy dunk. I don't know if you remember that play when he got fouled, yeah. but he just tossed it in there. That was a beautiful dunk. Absolutely Robert Williams, beautiful. Brad Wanamaker. The, the Celtics are rotating a lot of guys in here, and I guess they want to keep guys like Tatum and Brown fresh, but it's interesting to see how... They kind of get a lot of different guys in there. And the Raptors, on the other hand, are just saying, nope, these are our six guys. Beat these guys. And also, one more thing I wanted to bring up, because you kind of touched on it. Taco Fall covering that inbound pass. I saw that, and I was thinking, like, that that's so cruel to, like, force Kyle Lowry to have to throw over this guy who hasn't been on the court all game, just comes to just throw his hands up. And it's it didn't work. In theory, it's it's actually a great move from Brad Stevens. Hey, why not make him throw over my tallest guy with a ridiculous wingspan? But instead, doesn't work, and the Raptors still get it off. Do you know what's crazy to think about? If Toggle Fall's not there, maybe the inbound doesn't go across wow. the board. <laughs> yeah, think about that too. But now, now we're just getting into heavy specula- speculation, so... I'm I'm really just shocked that he got it over because Kyle Lowry he's he's not the he's not I'm he's not close to what Taco Fall is in terms of height so for him to get it all the way over and that really was just a ridiculously great pass by Kyle Lowry I mean to get it cross court like that and there was a bit of a defensive breakdown the fact that hey OG got open for a little bit got open just enough to make the shot but man that was a really fascinating game to watch down the stretch and. Like we said, there have been a lot of them. Let's hit over to the other side of the Eastern Conference, where the Miami Heat are now up two to nothing. Now, there's been a lot of stuff going on in terms of the two stars, Giannis and Jimmy Butler. Especially with Jimmy Butler covering Giannis, you talk about Giannis, who a guy who's probably looking at a back-to-back MVP. Eight turnovers in two games. And I think Jimmy Butler has a lot to do with that. Now, granted, six of them were in game one. So game two, it was a lot more of a clean performance. But he did turn the ball over late when the Bucks needed a bucket at any cost. And he turns it over late. Jimmy Butler, 40 points in game one. Game two, he goes for 13. But the rest of the Heat kind of pick up the slack. And it's another instance of your starting fives all over double digits. What it for you has been the biggest factor in the heat taking this early series lead. Um, I think the, uh, the heat have just played really good basketball. I mean, in game two in particular, well, I, I would say actually on top of that, the, the bucks waste opportunities in, in, um, in very, how can I put this? Very like very significant moments. I would say like they, they're just plays down the stretch I see from the box and it, it just doesn't make sense. And they're like big possessions, like when they're down seven points or they're down five points and they really need a bucket to really shift that momentum. And it just feels like it, it's squandered on either. Like you said, 
a turnover, which they've been having problems with, or um, or a poor sh- shot selection. And I mean, Giannis particularly hasn't been playing that bad. And in game two, um, most of the players are on the Bucks are are playing pretty solid. I mean, Chris Middleton gave you twenty three. Brooke Lopez had some very clutch plays down the stretch and just some very good plays in general. And Eric Bledsoe also in the first half was was doing very well for them. He kind of faded in the second half, which was kind of a big loss for them. But overall, I I, I would rather give this to the I, I would rather give this credit to the Heat rather than take away from the Bucks because I mean Jimmy Butler in game one was just making clutch shot after clutch shot. That that's something that like you you, you can't teach. It it's just built into this team. Tyler Harrow as as a young player in this league coming through for them again and again and plays playing like he's a veteran. It's just and bam and bam out of bio like just making clutch shots as well. This this team, this young team is not folding under the pressure. And I think that's the story of the series. Another big story. Heat are very good from three-point range. Uh, you talk about one, two, four guys, five guys, excuse me, from the Miami Heat in game two and had at least three three-pointers. So you talk about three threes from five-year guys. I mean, that's, that's pretty nice production to get have such a team that's so well-rounded in shooting threes. And you would think the Bucks are like that too because they have Chris Middleton and George Hill, guys who have been very good three-point shooters. And Middleton, yeah, he was solid, but he didn't hit any of his three-pointers in game two. Uh, Wesley Matthews missed both of his three-pointers. And I know just nitpicking at three-pointers kind of sounds weak, but in today's NBA, though, that's the difference because everyone's taking these three-point shots. So you got to be able to hit yours if you want a shot, a chance to survive in this league now. But it's been a great series. Both games have been. It seems like the Heat have had control of both games, but the Bucks are still good enough to where they're going to push you, and it is not going to be easy to put them away. So what do we see now for the the rest of the series? The Bucks gotta get Game Three, right? Well, they gotta, or it's gonna be very tough for them. I mean. If I'm being completely honest, I don't know what's going to happen in game three because just in general, like I know it's not good to to generalize all NBA playoff games, but all these games have been close. The atmosphere in these games have has been absolutely insane. And I don't see this changing for an already competitive series where where a lot of the um, the stakes have come down to the final possession. So. It's going to be really interesting to see how this game three unfolds. Like, listen, like we, we, we can compare them to um, the Raptor situation all, all we want, which is kind of the lane I've seen a lot of people go down when discussing the Bucks. But like the Buc- the Raptors almost lost that game, first of all. And the Bucks heat series is just a completely different animal. And these teams have completely different strengths. And if the, Bucks are able to assert their strengths and take care of the ball better, maybe get better ball movement going and, and get better shot selection because like I said, a lot of these these possessions have really been squandered down the stretch 
by by poor playmaking. I that that's the way I see the Bucks taking this game three and eventually tying up and maybe winning the series. I don't see it to be honest. I think the Bucks will get game three. I that I went into game two with that logic. Like there's no way the Bucks go down two nothing. So maybe it's still the wrong logic to say the Bucks won't go down three nothing. But it's it's what I'm gonna ride for my thoughts and feelings. I just think this Bucks team is too good to go down three though. But to win the series, it's, it's gonna be really tough because this Heat team is hungry. They they look like sharks now. They they smell blood. And they are going to keep chopping until they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is I'm hoping up until tonight, I was convinced it's going to be Heat Celtics. But what happened with the Celtics Raptors game now that series is wide open. It still could happen, but, you know, I don't even know what to expect anymore. This bubble is just absolutely insane. It's completely fried my brain. Also, speaking of the bubble, I I guess it's worth mentioning, too, like I, I feel like the the Bucks have been a little off since the the bubble, um, you know, bubble basketball came through and mm-hmm. the NBA came back. I feel like I feel like we've discussed it throughout the podcast, and, and and it really applied to all teams at one point. Like at the beginning, it was clear teams were rusty and and kind of shaking it off in the beginning. But it feels like the Bucks have never really left that stage, and like all their games are very competitive, and we're we're not seeing the dominance that we saw. In the regular season from them. You're not wrong. Bucks are seven and eight in the bubble overall in terms of the playoff series and the, the regular bubble game. So seven and eight clearly shows you that they are struggling here. They are this has not been an easy road for them. And it's only gonna get harder down the stretch. But let's move on to the Western Conference now, because we had a couple of game sevens, Nick. And these both of these game sevens were decided by the final shot. It's becoming a recurring theme. In the bubble now. Let's start off with the one we had last night. OKC in Houston. Unbelievable game. You had Chris Paul with a triple-double. Vintage Chris Paul performance. Lou Dort with 30 points. He was killing the Rockets. At one, I think it was the second or third My quarter. God. He went on a run where him by himself was just hitting every single shot. And the Rockets had no answer. But on the other side, Russell Westbrook was solid. For the beginning, and I think we'll get into what happened at the end there. But he had 20 points. Covington had 21. Eric Gordon had 21. Harden struggled big time from three. Finished with 17, but went one for nine from three-point range. Something I want to mention about Harden and Westbrook, and you know me, I'm a big Rockets supporter. I've supported the Rockets heavily on this podcast before. But Harden and Westbrook offensively went cold down the stretch. Both of these guys cannot buy a bucket. And that goes the same for the oh, the Thunder, too. They weren't hitting shots either down the stretch. And it's game seven. It, it's not an easy environment to just be clutch and hit every shot. But I think it's worth mentioning that Harden and Westbrook did not look good down the stretch. Harden seemed very passive. He kind of seemed like he wanted to give Westbrook all the shots. And Westbrook was taking them, but Westbrook wasn't hitting any. So the Rockets survived. They had a P.J. Tucker score the go-ahead bucket to put them ahead, but there was a lot of missed shots down the stretch, and it'd be remiss to not mention the hard and block on Lou Dort to win the game. So offensively, he wasn't there, but you got to give him credit for making a great block defensively to move your team past and get to the next round. What are your takeaways from Wild Game 7? 
Well, first of all, I think James Harden was very lucky the Rockets won this game. I mean, he did not perform well at all. And if they if they lost this game to an OKC Thunder team that has, you know, people have repeatedly said and made everyone aware of that they were not supposed to be here in the first place. Nobody expected them to come this far. And you're you were supposed to be a title contender coming into the season. So if James Harden if James Harden's performance led the Rockets to a loss here, I mean that's a huge shot on his legacy, and it would be very hard to recover from that. But uh, as for the rest of the team, the some some other players really came through. Like Covington, Covington was uh, making threes left and right really keeping the Rockets in this game throughout and giving them the lead at some points. Um, Eric Gordon had a good game. Russell Westbrook, despite um, kind of disappearing down the stretch, was, was pretty good throughout the game as well. And on the Thunder side, much credit to the Thunder. Like, they have a really solid core, and I feel like, I feel like even now people are underrating how talented this team really is. I mean, um... Shy is really talented. Steven Adams is always a solid player. Danilo Gallinari. Like, they, they have a solid core. And, I mean, if Lou Dort can at least be a decent role player for them in the coming years, like, that's that's just another piece they can add. And it's going to be interesting to see how this team team's future shapes up. And it's also going to be interesting to see how the Rockets match up with the Lakers in the next round because that has been... Long awaited. Well, to follow up what I said before, Harden and Westbrook, three for 10 combined in the fourth quarter. So definitely not the production you need from your guys in a game seven. Your two guys who were probably the highest paid guards in the league at this point. But it was a wild finish. And you brought up OKC's future. I've been seeing some murmurings and I... I don't think I've ever seen, I don't think I've seen anything from a reliable source in terms of Chris Paul's future, but I have seen a lot of chittering on the, just the internet in general. What should OKC do with Chris Paul now? Is it possible that they move on from him and try to, because there are teams that are going to be interested in him. Teams like the Sixers who might want a more traditional point guard. Uh, teams like the Heat, maybe the Heat want a replacement for Gordon Drogic for next year. Uh do you think OKC is going to keep Chris Paul around or would they look to trade him? I mean, it's hard to tell at this point. It's just so, so new. You know, the, the loss is just so fresh and they're obviously going to have to think because probably they didn't expect the team to perform this well either. So now they have some things to, to think about. Um, like, do, do you want to potentially chase another star to go along with Chris Paul? I mean, they're a five seed in in the Western Conference. So, I mean, if you add a, another star, are they potentially contending? Like, like in this conference? It, it's just very hard to tell with this team. I mean, this team obviously has a bright future ahead of them. I mean, also, we, we got to think about the, the, um, the, the, the picks they got from the Rockets. Uh, well, no, the Rockets picks are down the line. My bad. Because I think I think the Rockets picks are 2024, 2026. 
So I, I um, think that they got the Clippers picks. I think that's the bigger. Oh yeah, package, right, right, right. They, that's what that's what that's what was on my mind. Yeah, I, I I fucked up. My bad. Um, yeah, they they got the Clippers picks for PG. That's that's where the real money is, and and like it, it's also worth mentioning the Russell Westbrook picks as well. I mean, even if they're very down the line, those are still still picks for the future. I mean, they they got it made and set up right now it just depends on how they want to go about it and, and like i said they they have plenty option plenty of options in front of them they are not pressured at all to to go in any which direction with chris paul or or whatsoever a lot of people did not give this thunder team a shot i don't think i did i don't think i can't speak for many people but i don't think that a lot of people had faith in this thunder team everyone keeps bringing up the espn power playoff predictor thing that they did early in the season and the thunder had a 0.2 chance of making the postseason not only did they come through with that 0.2 but they almost won a series after that so it's hard to say be happy after losing a crushing game seven but if you're at okc your head's got to be high for the future because with sga maybe lou dort and all those draft picks there is a nice future in OKC. Hey, 30 points in a game seven. He's going to have a shot next year to, to be the guy. I Well, not the guy. Come on. But to like, be the guy okay, in OKC. I, you never know. You know what? Sure. I, I like Lou Dort. So you, sure. You, you don't seem too sure about this. You seem tight about it, actually. I'm not, I'm not tight at all. Lou Dort had a great game, and I love seeing undrafted rookies get their shine. So I, I have nothing against Lou Dort. Like whatever you say, man. Just just seemed like you're hating. <laughs> okay, seemed okay. Like you're hating. I, I'm not I'm not hating. I'm just saying he's not gonna be be like a star like that. But you know what? I hope he proves me wrong. If Lou Dort becomes a star in this league, I will be very happy. I mean, think about guys like Siakam who came out of nowhere, you know. I mean, this guy, came like, out, he Siak- was good this whole series. Like, it wasn't just a one-game outburst. He was pretty good throughout the entirety of the series. Like, see, I feel like Siakam showed more promise on um on that team because, like, Lou Dort averaged six points per game throughout the season. Like, listen, I think he could average, like, 10 to 15 points a game. I, I definitely think, like, his here, his whole career is on an upward trajectory. But I just don't know if he's going to be a star like that. Like, listen, if he averages 20 plus points a game, good for him, man. Like, as an undrafted rookie on on a franchise that's on the come up, that, that would be a really great situation for him. What I will say is I'm just looking through the box scores for all these games. This guy pulls up, man. He's got like 10 shots in every game at least. And it's like, who is this guy to be yeah. taking 10 shots a game? And he, yeah. He had, no, yeah. He, you know, in game, I think this is game five or game six. Three for sixteen, shooting. Like, yeah, no, because the um, confidence is all there. Yeah, Russell Russell Westbrook and James Harden did not give this man any respect, which is also why he he went off for thirty in Game Seven because he kept taking those shots, and in Game Seven he he ended up hitting them, and they weren't giving him any respect until late in the game, and that's when James Harden got his block. So yeah, definitely a crazy story in in Lou Dort, and I can't wait to see where his career goes after this. Well, I think it's time to end our Lou Dort 
uh, portion of the podcast and move on to our final game seven, which was just as crazy, had just as probably a crazier sequence to end the game than any of these games in terms of just the pure mayhem of the whole situation. And that's the Jazz and Nuggets. Let's just talk about the sequence to end the game. Donovan Mitchell has a chance to tie the game or win the game, has the ball in his hands, turns it over. But instead of dribbling out the clock, Jamal Murray just pushes the ball up court and him and uh, Torrey Craig are running up. Murray hands it off to Craig and Craig goes for a layup and misses it. And the Jazz get one more chance. Mike Conley, walk-off three-pointer, rims out crazy sequence in this game and i'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it while i ask you while you answer this question we're going to touch on this game in general but for the series what went wrong for the jazz because i i don't know if people are talking about it as much but this is a 3-1 lead they blew that is a, a lead that if you blew in 2016 or 2017 it was going to get talked about a lot and the jazz did it so what went wrong for the jazz in this series also, um, I don't mean to put you on the spot here. Wasn't Jeremy Grant the one who missed the layup? No, it wasn't Jeremy Grant. It was really. I thought it was too, but then they talked about it post game, and it was Tory Craig. Wow, I like I I literally saw Jeremy Grant getting flamed he on did, social media. I think a lot of people thought like I thought it was him at first, too, at first glance, and I think uh, Jokic and Murray were talking about it in the post game. Like, yeah, we don't know why he made that shot or took that shot. But, I mean, Murray was the one who was pushing the ball up court. So, I mean, Murray, Murray should have just dribbled out a little bit. So, it, it was a very weird sequence, though. That's that's honestly why I I had no idea, honestly. Like, that's kind of eye, eye-opening for me that it wasn't Jeremy Grant. <laughs> but, anyways, let's let, like that that whole last sequence was crazy either way. And that shot by, by Mike Conley. In the last seconds, oh my god! I that that shot looks so good. I I literally had chills when that shot went up. I was I was going crazy. Like something like shook me to my core when that shot went up. I I, I was feeling the hype, and I thought it was going in. I swore it was going in in my mind, but it just didn't go in. Just a great series in general, honestly. Like D. Mitch and Jamal Murray putting on a show. Um, Diamond Mitchell of all people, which I, I, I wouldn't expect this from, but, but it's true. Like he, he broke the, um, he broke the record for most threes in a series, in a playoff series by any player, um, over a three game stretch in playoff history, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell combined for the most points by any two players. It's it, it was just a wild series. Definitely one of the, the best first round series of all time. There, there are some good ones out there, but this definitely ranks among them. I mean, you're right when you talk about the individual performance of these guys. How many 50-point games did we see in the series? It was really wild how every night one of these guys would be taking their turn at a 50-point game. And for the Jazz, I... I it went wrong in a lot of different places. Uh, I think the team just wasn't as good as the Nuggets overall because when Jamal Murray was heating up, like there was no answer for him. There was no other guy Donovan Mitchell could rely on. Of course, Rudy Gobert has been a great option. He was a big force throughout this whole series, but Joe Ingles, 
missed a lot of shots. Royce O'Neal, even Mike Conley in Game 7 especially. It was not a great series for the Jazz role players down the stretch. And then there was just no stopping Jamal Murray. I think that is the biggest factor in this 3-1 collapse. Uh, I think Jamal Murray, especially at Game 6, the Nuggets were down big. And Jamal Murray just brought them out from the dead. And that was from there. And also the postponements definitely had something to do with, you know, everyone had a couple of days to, you know, take a breather, kind of get focused back into the game. And then you look up and it's like, oh, well, this series is a lot closer than it was before we postponed these games. And now the Nuggets move on to play the Clippers. And we actually just were recording this after that game. And the Nuggets got pounced. So I don't know if you want to finish up with the series or if you want to tell me if the Nuggets have any shot against the Clippers, because in my opinion, I think they have no shot. Well, I just wanted to get some final words in about Mm -hmm. the um, Jazz and Nuggets. So, um, wait, excuse me. Um, like you, you mentioned the, um, the Jazz having like, you know, not, not as good of an overall roster as the Nuggets, but I feel like that was more evident than game in game seven than any other game because the jazz were literally like giving at at one point in the game in the second half, the, the jazz were literally giving Donovan Mitchell the ball and letting him ISO every play. It was kind of wild to watch. Actually, It, it wasn't even like the James Harden type of ISO either. Like Donovan Mitchell was just getting the ball one-on-one with the players and he would have to truck through like three guys to get a layup. And it, it was, it was crazy, but down the stretch also someone you brought up, I, I completely forgot about and I shouldn't have Rudy Gobert had an amazing game seven. And like, I, I felt bad for him most of all out of any player after, after I watched that game, because he really had some clutch plays down the stretch. And, like, there was one point where he didn't get a foul call. I for, I forgot exactly when it was. But after that, he just went berserk. He was getting hyped for every play. And I really love the energy I saw out of Rudy Gobert in that game seven. And throughout the series, he was pretty good as well. And now for um, Clippers Nuggets. I think Clippers are going to take this. I mean, the Nuggets have to be drained after that that tough series with the Jazz. And, and the Clippers have been resting up for a little bit. And Clippers also got Pat Beverly back, which showed who showed up tonight and really gave that energy that they've been missing. And it just looks like this Clippers team has just a little bit more edge to it now. And I can't see the Nuggets overcoming it. Nuggets could push it to six games, but I think I'm only going to give them six games against the Clippers. I think the first word you said is exactly how I feel drained. I think the Nuggets are drained right now coming off of Game 7. And it's hard not to be drained when you put all your energy into this do-or-die game. And then, oh, by the way, you got to play two days later. And Jamal Murray was doing an interview with SVP. And like SVP told him, oh, what are you going to do with this turnaround by Thursday? And Jamal was like shocked. He's like, wait, we played Thursday? So that kind of showed me that, man, it's not really advantageous to play this Clippers team which is already a very great team 
to play them when you're tired and worn out from a pretty grueling series in which you had three do or, four straight actually four do or die games there's just it's tough to bounce back from that and then just say hey now we got a fresh series against this clippers team that been pretty fresh they've been resting since sunday so I don't give the Nuggets any shot. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a sweep, to be honest with you. Wow, I, I even gave the Nuggets more credit than that. That's crazy. I think they're a good but, team, but... And listen, you got Jokic, who's going to present problems for the Clippers. The Clippers don't really have a guy who can I mean, Zubak did a good job. He did good tonight, but I, in terms of every game, night in and night out, Jokic is going to get the best of him eventually. But... Uh, I, I just think all in all, the Clippers are going to find ways to stifle this team. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think the um, the Clippers are going to take the series. It's not even a doubt in my mind, but I could see the Nuggets pushing it to six games. If they if they really tough out one or two of these games and. Yeah, they, they're not a bad team at all. Like, I, I definitely think they have potential, but the Clippers are just just have too much firepower for them what about the lakers rockets you give the rockets any shot in that i mean i would i would say around the same assessment i would say 60 games i i just don't see who who's guarding ad and lebron's gonna present problems of his own and i i I just don't i just don't see how they can overcome having those two at the court I, I don't know who's going to guard them. I, I don't know who's going to even hinder them, really. All I got to say is that sentiment was echoed a lot uh, a couple months ago. I think it was the trade deadline in February. Uh, the Rockets had just traded Clint Capella, and then they were playing the Lakers on Thursday night. And everybody and their mother was talking about, well, now, what are the Rockets going to do? Small ball is not going to be able to survive against a team like the Lakers. And in their first game, they came out and beat the Lakers on the road. I remember that game. Not to say that that's the the end-all, be-all. Of course, the Lakers are going to get the better of them in a couple games. But I, I do see the Rockets being feisty in the series. If Russell Westbrook can get back to playing how he played before the shutdown... And I'm talking about that February March period where I remember that road game against the Celtics. He was electric. Games like that where he was slowly rising to the top of the MVP uh, conversation. If you can get some of that out of Russell Westbrook, and it's been tough because he's he's coming back from an injury, so we don't know if we'll get that. But if you can get that, I think the Lakers are in for some trouble. I think the Lakers will win this series, but that's a series I see hit. A series I see hitting six or seven games. I mean, I gave them six games. It's not like I said, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there no, will be no just, resistance. Yeah, I was just saying how I uh, felt on the matter. Let's finish it up with this. This is a little surprise topic for you, but the Nets got Steve Nash. How do you feel about that That hire for your team? Wow. I mean, I think it's a good hire. Um, Katie and Kara Silvert have worked with Steve Nash before. He's a respected guy in this league an inspiration for a lot of point guards in in this day and age and i i just don't see how this could turn into a messy situation like everybody is perceiving it to be i mean and they also kept jack vaughn as their lead assistant which i also love 
So, so the guys who really connected with Jack Vaughn can still have that presence there and he could still be a leader and he's going to be the highest paid um, lead assistant coach in the league, which is well-deserved. So good for him as well. That's going to be an interesting team to say the least come next season with Kyrie and KD finally playing together. Then you bring Steve Nash into that. Karis LeVert, how can he work with that team? It's definitely going to be a fun team or an intriguing team to watch. Don't forget Spencer Dinwiddie, too. That's. I mean, he averages 20 points a game. Like, come on. You, you got to throw him in there. All right. All right. You like. You you got you got it, boss. Like heads talk about the 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 big three. I I think there's a big four there. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now let's slow it down. I kind I I, I kind of stole that from his tweet. By the way, he he tweeted that today. But I, I just gotta give him his props. You know, I feel like he 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 doesn't get the credit he deserves sometimes. Nets Celtics next year in the playoffs. Sounds like a very fun series. We'll bring see Kyrie how that goes. Back, bring Kyrie back to Boston. KD's got to deal with you know the Boston uh, public. I'm sure that's not going to be fun for him going there either. And then the Celtics team, which is very well-rounded, looks like they're better without Kyrie. I don't know. Am I allowed to say that? I mean, you can say that. Oh, you seem tight about it. Uh, I just wanted to... No, you, you can say that. Oh. Okay. Okay. Like, why, why wouldn't you say that? I, I mean, I would say that because that's, that's kind of how it is. But, you know, I don't want to upset the Kyrie fanboys on the other side of the microphone. I, I didn't... I literally did not say anything. <laughs> You've just seemed uptight this whole podcast. I don't know. Really? Yeah. Damn. Lou Dort's just set you off. I don't know what he did. Oh yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou Dort just grinds my gears, man. I, I don't know what to say. Well, I know what to say. I'm going to say we are done with this podcast. Football season, a week from tonight, we're going to, Texans and Chiefs are going to be on. Like what? What is going on, man? It's oh, finally that's going to be fire. That's going to be good. So we'll try, I guess we'll come out with the NFL, a mini NFL podcast before Thursday, might as well uh, preview some things for this season, because this season's ready to roll. And uh, we're going to provide a lot more content on Instagram, social media, and we had a post these today. Podcasts. We had a post today that was actually very relevant to this podcast, so show some love to that. And we're, okay, we always say we're, we're going to go on Twitter and Facebook as well, like I feel like I, I really got to start getting on that. So that's coming soon too. Stay tuned for that and more to come. We're always trying to expand. So stay tuned. And with that, we will see you guys next time. Peace.